This episode is sponsored by Bigger City. Thank you so much for supporting us and helping our show to grow. Hello, and welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we talk about the things that are weighing on our minds. I'm Dan Oliverio, author, public speaker, and chubby chaser, and today I am a sedate boy in gray. It is a gray day here in Los Angeles, which is kind of nice uh, for the summer, although it's, it's very warm, because um, <laughs> it's Los Angeles. But yeah, it's, it's going well. It's going well, everyone. Going well. And I'm very excited uh, for something we're going to announce a little bit later. Ooh, how Ooh. mysterious. I'm Trevor Kizan. I'm a super chub. And I don't know, I am a gray LA boy today. It's uh, well, we're not in August Foggest anymore. So <laughs> it's September and it's a little gray. I mean, that's okay. My name is Michael Willer. I'm a chippy chaser and I am a shockingly acclimated boy because we're no longer in the 120 degree heat. And so I unironically said yesterday, wow, it's really nice outside. It's only 80 degrees. <laughs> this well, is, uh, and if uh, you know me, that is yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people would love that. Yeah. Hey there, I'm Don. I'm a big chubby guy living here in sunny Hollywood. And today I am a kind of thirsty boy because I forgot to get something to drink before we started recording. But I right, shall right. soldier on because <laughs> we are determined here for your entertainment and we will soldier through. Dance, monkey, dance. Yes. That's my monkey Once dance. again, bringing the weird vibes to the <laughs> episode. <laughs> You're welcome, everybody. This is what happens when we record 15 minutes after I wake up and my bed's still right next to me just calling my name. <laughs> Literally calling your name. That's yes. that sound we hear. <laughs> well, it's the big fig um... add-on. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, welcome to the show, everybody. Thanks for joining us once again in your... We haven't brought up the listener driving in the car in a long time. I want to go back to them for a second. How are you doing, listener? Have you made it to your destination yet? <laughs> it would I be really not. weird if you did, because that means your <laughs> drive was about 45 seconds and you have no business listening to a podcast. Uh, Just saying. Dear. Um, we would like to say thank you to our supporters on Patreon. Uh, they help keep the show going. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. We do all kinds of fun behind-the-scenes content there. Check it out if you would like to support the show. And we also are sponsored by Bigger City. We know you hear that at the top of the show, but we'd like to say it ourselves anyway, because it's it's a much appreciated sponsorship. Thank you. Yay. And, uh, oh, Minisode, right. So Dan and Trevor? Yes. Question yes. mark? What's doing it a Minisode? Be? Yeah, we hardly ever talk to each other, I so mean, we, thought, we thought we'd <laughs> record it as a special event. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be talking, I don't know, about, we're about to have our uh, seventh wedding anniversary. We are. Aww. So I don't what know, is the uh, seventh anniversary? Uh, Rabbit's feet. <laughs> wood, I think. <laughs> Pete. Is it wood? I thought wood was something else. I don't know. We'll, you'll, we'll find <laughs> out in the mini-sode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be fun. That sounds excellent. We haven't had one with you guys in a long time. Yeah. Copper um, and wool. Wow. Copper Ooh. and wool. I just looked it up. Copper oh and wool. Oh, my God. Okay. So like I steampunk like sheep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just picturing a sheep with a rocket pack and a headset with a reticle on front. <laughs> okay to go. Okay to go. <laughs> Someone will get that reference. <laughs> um, we have fun here. So... We are also taking a small break, not a full hiatus. Uh, we've done a month in the past, uh, not quite that much, because 
Dan, I think you might want to announce this yourself. Yes, boy, España. I'm going to Madrid. And um, I'm going to Madrid uh, uh, in the beginning, the first two weeks of October. And um, we just didn't want to try to record while I'm in a foreign country. Yeah, that might be a little tough. I think that would be a very special kind of hell. (laughs) (laughs) Scheduling that, and uh, I can only imagine what the delay would be like with you on another continent. (laughs) Yeah. Everything sounds like a CNN broadcast. Not to mention it's a nine-hour time difference. (laughs) Yeah. No, 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 no. So we're going to take those two weeks off. So to get the exact dates right, listener, your uh, last episode before the break will be on Wednesday, the 27th of September. And then the next two Wednesdays, we will be off uh, coming back on October 18th. Uh, And that's when we're picking back up. So not too long. Not too bad. Um, And we're all very excited to hear about Dan's trip. I'm sure he'll come back tanned and and spanish speaking <laughs> all, all hispanified <laughs> not like you couldn't get a tan in socal i guess i didn't think that one through yeah right you know, yeah, um, if you live in los angeles you don't go to spain I, for a tan <laughs> well, well on that note let's just <laughs> i would be dancing but i'm looking for a tissue uh, okay, hold on. <laughs> there we go. We did it. All right. Yay. Okay. <laughs> All right, everybody. Focus sure. up. Do you want it's me to time. do this, sir? Do it? Uh, yeah, why don't you take us into our first article? Yeah. Um, so this is an article out of the Washington Post. And they did a deep dive uh, along deep, with... Deep dive. <laughs> it's a very dense article. It's a very long article. It's very... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, they, did their, and, they did their job. It's they partnered with. Oh, I'm not. I'm gonna forget the name of their 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 journal. I thought it was the Examiner. Bev. No, no, no. 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 Uh, the oh, the Washington Post and the Examination. The Examination, which is aptly named. Uh, so they did this deep dive into the influencers that are dietitians that are paid by food and beverage companies to promote yeah. particular things. And here's the, here's the thing. So, of course, if you're an influencer and you're receiving money for something, you're required to identify such on your post. And they have done that in most cases, but usually just with a little, like, sponsor thing at the bottom. Like, it's not in the text. Of yeah, it. It, it'll say, like, paid, or, yeah, sponsored uh, content paid, or something like that. Paid sponsorship, paid content, whatever. Yeah, but they don't um, say by whom, usually. Yeah, so the article goes on instance after instance after instance of, like, uh, promoting, promoting sugar, promoting lollipops, promoting from the sugar council, you know, and, and things like this. On the other side of that, the way it's being promoted is the dietitian saying, Hey, don't get nuts and don't be the food police with your kids about sugar. Right. And the fact, the less you restrict it, the more they're, which is the, the advice that you would sort of expect a, <laughs> an up-to-date dietitian to be giving, like not to try to make, make good and bad foods. Yeah, it's a very gray area. The I suspicion think. comes in when they're also receiving money for it. And mm. I have stuff to say about this. I'm sure you all have something to say about this. Yeah. I mean, you know, these dietitians saying like, don't make sugar a weird thing for your kids. I'm like, yeah, that's great. And, you know, the Canadian <laughs> Sugar Association paying for that, I'm like, Okay, that's a little much, but the yeah. there is one quote that they talk about that Tim like this is like this was hand spooned into this dietitian's mouth. I feel like by the Canadian Sugar Institute, uh-huh. the best way to cut sugar is with a fork and knife. Uh, yeah, <laughs> what? As, she's, as she's holding a donut. Yeah, she's holding a donut. And she's like the best way to cut sugar is by with a fork and knife, or maybe my teeth. Like making a joke out of like yeah. trying to cut. 
you know. But it's also that just like such I don't know that's such a like yeah and she should say something like you know the the sugar yeah, like, executive I, I'm pretty sure candy cigar with, I'm pretty sure she came up with that on her own I actually I'm not sure I have a problem with with people receiving money for stuff they would have said anyway I think it's well that's why I say it's a gray area because on the the, the first half of the article maybe the first third is not about sugar it's about the uh WHO's uh yeah. the World Health Organization's assessment of aspartame and how it's mm-hmm. you know p- potentially carcinogen and all that stuff and so it was the diet which, which soda. by the way has been widely debunked sure but yeah. and so that was the first part of the article and it was showing how you know, I think it was the Beverage Association, Amerabev, Amer- yeah, whatever it was. It was a, it's a lobbying organization was paying all of these dietitians who are also influencers, and so you can kind of see, like, in that sense, okay, they're just purchasing ad time, basically, and all of those yeah. people are like, hey, drink diet soda. But then on the other hand, you have them handling sugar in a way, as Dan points out, that I, for instance, one of the uh, influencers said, don't make it scarce. I can't remember what the term is, but don't like. You, you create sugar cravings by making a scarcity out of it, mm-hmm. by, by yeah. withholding it, which absolutely yeah. happened to me as a kid. Like that is, like that is exactly to the T what happened. So, I don't think that's bad advice. And is it a bad thing that she got paid for it? Eh. I would argue though that if it's part of a goddamn campaign sponsored by a single group, I deserve to know that you are talking mm-hmm. about it because the campaign's paying you. And that's what's so important. Like when all of a sudden. Seven of the people I follow are telling me that aspartame is safe. I'm going to think aspartame is safe. If I'm being notified that they're all talking about aspartame right now because studies have come out saying that it's unsafe and they're disagreeing with those studies, you know, like that means something. If if seven of them are being paid to talk about it, I deserve to know that so I can go find out why. Yes. And and I think in almost all the circumstances, they did. The question is how visible was that notation? No, that's that's the opposite from what the article said. No, because 11 out of 11 out of 37 were it said that they were part of the campaign. Or something like that. Well, but I think, but what, but even yeah. with the little thing at the bottom, like the icon or the thing, like yeah, they, they have to say it's a paid yeah. post. They yeah. don't have to say by whom. Yeah. And so I think Don's yeah. point is like you, you absolutely need to say by whom. So here's my question. I, this is just a question, so much uh, to inspire some discussion. In what way is this different from? So, so I used to watch uh, Binging with Babish all the time, which is a cooking channel. And he, uh, after a while, got big enough that he could start endorsing products. And he endorsed a gin called Botanist Gin, which is really, really good gin. And he was like, hey, I love this gin. It's great. You should try it. And then he got paid to say that. And I tried it and I thought it was really good. So he believes in the product. He gets paid to say something he was already going to say, which kind of goes to what Dan's pointing out, which is if this person was already inclined to say these things, is it a bad thing that she got paid to say it? Timing is everything. If they're all talking about it at the same time because someone is paying for them to talk about it right now, yes, I think I deserve to know. Well, well I, yes, yeah. you deserve to know, but th- it's a tricky thing because the thing about the timing is the timing was important because this irresponsible study came out of the WHO, which again has been widely debunked. Then if you're a beverage company, you need, to, you need to know how to combat that. And yes, you have more credibility if you have it in the hands of dietitians than you have it in the hands of just you know a Pepsi commercial. So 
on the one hand, the dietitians know that it's disinformation. They want to say it's disinformation. And yeah, maybe they're pushed to do that sooner than later because they are getting funded. I kind of don't have a problem with that, but I do really appreciate your point, Don, that it kind of smells fishy. And then it comes to the thing of, well, if it is combating disinformation, like for example, if there was a thing where, uh, an influencer said, you know, don't believe that the election was stolen. And that was sponsored by the by the Democratic Party. I, I tend not to believe the combat against the disinformation, even though it really is disinformation. It just becomes disinformation about disinformation. It, it tends to spiral. And maybe that's just where we are. I don't know. I mean, my thing <laughs> is, I think I am always dubious of at, like sponsored posts and I think in this case, like I'm conflicted because I do believe that some of these dietitians believe the message they're sharing in these sponsored posts. But I think with any group of influencers, there are going to be people who are like, yep, I am just, you know, I want to get that paycheck. I put a lot of work into this. And I think the concern is the, you know, so you, if you have these bad faith influencers doing these sponsored posts that aren't clearly sponsored and there are going to be people who do not really like get that it's an ad if it's not clearly that. And just, yeah, I think there's also like, there's just so much content and messaging that I think it's hard to like process all of it. And when yes. you have these organizations lobbying as part of that, it gets even harder. I mean, Michael, I think you were the one who sent me the the video of like, it was someone trying to make breakfast and they're scrolling through TikTok and it's all the people like, don't eat eggs. Like, and so they, like, they put away the eggs and it's this yeah. other thing of like, yeah. yeah. And like, don't have bread. Bread's going to kill you. And like, and then it's like, no, you should be eating eggs. So they like go back to the fridge and get the eggs back out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it just sort of illustrates that, you know, people are going like, ultimately if you're following an influencer, don't take what they say to heart. Like they're, that's a platform for them to make a living t saying things. Like you, I think you should always bring a sense of pessimism to whatever it is that you're being told by an influencer, whether or not it's a paid post, by the way. And it's certainly if it says paid post underneath it or whatever, like, yeah, I, I like Trevor, I don't tend to, I tend to scroll past those. Honestly, I tend to not even look at those. I, in fact, I'm off Facebook and Instagram entirely. But before that, and, you know, so if you have a dietitian who's an influencer, for my money, you've already lost your credibility. Like if you want to, like if you yeah. want to, if, if that's where you're going to like create your platform, I, my sense is like, don't, don't put too much credence into what they're saying regardless, but maybe that's just me. Well, then it, it kind of comes down to who's paying them because if I'm paying them, then I'm the customer. Like if I'm paying my dietitian, right? Because, you know, right. Versus is... A Maribev pairing, paying my dietitian. I think uh, the entire pharmaceutical uh, industry has already disproved. <laughs> like they, they've, they're already paying your doctor. Yeah, they're already matter. paying my doctor. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's it's just it's just sort of the state of the world right now. So we're saying that the answer to this is we're all fucked. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's systemic. It's really just systemic. <laughs> There was uh, I, um we we need to I think yeah, we need on. to move on. Yeah. <laughs> I've really depressed myself now. <laughs> <laughs> I I have seen there is a, a YouTube person I used to follow, and she was such a blatant shill 
for like <laughs> anyone who would give her money. But it was in such a way where it's like I almost feel like she didn't read the copy before she started recording. Because there was one time it was like a very like this is clearly a conservative group <laughs> that is trying to radicalize people. Mm-hmm. And she was like, and they sponsored my video where I'm going to make, you know, this dump cake. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. But let's, let's move on. Let's move it's, on. Yeah. Let's get out of that. Dan, you brought this article to us. Yeah. I thought, happier news. <laughs> it, it, well, it's sort of, sort of, sort of. So, okay. On the one hand, the famous, <laughs> I had to resist the urge to do this in Spanish, the famous Colombian artist, uh, Fernando Botero, and you might know Botero from his, as he would call them, inflated, voluptuous, luscious figures. So this would that's be- That's me, baby. That's, that's <laughs> my boy. So, and in popular culture, like, you know, Botero would never say they were fat. He would say that they're, that they're exaggerated sensuality. And mm-hmm. so you have like the fat bullfighter and the fat ballerina. And it was really interesting. And I thought that the in a lot of the obituaries, one of the things that was brought up is, you know, I think in, in, in fat world, everybody sees Botero as pretty positive and non-controversial. Like, yeah, he does really great paintings of, of, stylized, <laughs> of stylized bigger people. Mm-hmm. But what's key is that he was in many corners of the art world absolutely loathed. His paintings were loathed precisely because they painted these figures, precisely because he made them accessible, precisely because people loved his work and it sold very well. Mm-hmm. And How uh, dare he? Yeah, yeah. And what I think is the important issue, like why bring this on the podcast aside from, you know, he, he painted larger people. And I think the other thing that is so on brand for us and what we talk about is that there was controversy in the subject matter of whom or how he was painting. I should say how he was painting in that there was part of the uproar was about the size and sensuality through, I don't know if you want to call it fatness, you could, he wouldn't call it fatness. Again, he saw it as a part of the modern art movement, as a part of expressionism that exaggerates certain physical traits, that exaggerates, you know, visual. And it's why he moved to sculpture, right? Because if you really want to get into sensuality, you would want to make it 3D rather than just 2D. And so he got working in bronze. But the idea of the controversy and opening up the idea that different size bodies can be exhibited in museums, and that, I mean, that's, that was pretty major. Yeah, I I really like, so there's a quote in this article from uh, Godfrey Barker, uh, who's arts writer in the London London Evening Standard back in 2009. He wrote, wow, do they loathe him. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The high priests of contemporary art in London and New York cannot stand him because he defies everything they believe in. They hate him more because he is rich and immense commercial success, easy on the eye and very popular with ordinary folk. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Can you, you, smile. It looks like you have the, the, the article right in front there. Can you scroll down to Erica Jong's quote, if you can find uh, that? Let me see. Yeah. So Erica Jong, in case people don't know, is a uh, rather famous novelist and a sometimes critic. And she is talking about when Botero did a series that yeah. was exhibited about the atrocities in Abu Ghraib. Yeah. The, I had uh, never seen those before. They're powerful. Yeah. And was, can you can you read that quote, Michael? Yeah, I've got it. She said, uh, when we think about the Colombian artist Fernando Botero, uh, most of us visualize his roly-poly people flaunting their fat, their fashionable headgear, their cigarettes and cigarette holders, their excess. I never thought of these as political images until I saw Botero's Abu Ghraib series. I see all Botero's work as a record of the brutality of the haves and the have-nots. 
And I love that because it's true. For an American looking at some Botero paintings, you go like, oh yeah, it's, it's a fat prostitute, so what? Like, isn't that funny maybe even? Mm-hmm. But, th- but there, he, he's talking about class. He's talking about have versus have not. He's talking about the oppressiveness, not necessarily about fat people. I don't, I don't, I think that would be putting words in his mouth, but I think it, it is, uh, that all of his work can be seen through that lens, which is what Zhang is pointing out here. It's not just that series. Like when you get that, oh my God, this could be political. Maybe it is political. And then you look at all of his art. You're like, holy shit, what I've been missing. Yeah. I think we did talk about him by the way, Trevor, we talked we about him last, yeah. last year, I think. Um, and it was, that was my first sort of exposure to, to his work. And I was sort of, I was sort of shocked that I hadn't come across it before. Cause it, I mean, there is a lot, there's just such a voice uh, behind it. And the sculptures too. He's done, mm. he, he was a painter and a sculptor. I yes. actually yeah. mm-hmm. had a personal experience with his artwork when I went mm. to LACMA, uh, like maybe this is like eight or nine years ago, I'm guessing. I'd never heard of him, but I was walking through the museum and most of the artwork wasn't really, it wasn't connected to me. It was interesting, but it was, wasn't for me. And I turned the corner and suddenly there's this wing filled with color mm. and vibrance. And, and it was like this little oasis of beauty in the middle of a very austere experience. You know, I, I liked it. Mm-hmm. I, really, I, yeah. I was grateful for that. Are you saying that the arts world can sometimes be stuffy and cold? <laughs> going out on a limb with that one, but yeah. Mm. All right. Yeah. Uh, okay. But if you if you're not familiar with Patera, go ahead and check his work. It's lovely. Yeah. Um, and a really really great article in the Times. Uh, if you want to check that out too. Michael. Yeah. All right. Michael. Uh, do I hear an eagle? It's it. It's it. <laughs> it's the. <laughs> there it goes. Fat <laughs> Watch 2023. I was watching a video of an eagle at the vet. <laughs> an Ameri- American Poor bald eagle. eagle. Why was he at the vet? It was just a checkup, and the eagle was good. being a very good boy. Okay, Aww. good. Good, good, good. Okay, good. And he was kind of chubby I looking. Were, I thought you said, and he was fat. And I was like, oh, that's great. Like, we need a fat eagle as our mascot for the show. Okay, I'm doing a search for like, fat eagle. Like Chicago pigeon style fat eagle. Yeah. The eagle. Okay. Uh, fat watch. What are we, what's happening in the world? It's of, of fashion once again. Yeah, fashion, fashion. Fashion, fashion. It was fashion week in New York. And uh, Felicity Hayward on Instagram did a really great roundup of all of the plus representation, which actually um, was not a lot compared to other years. It's better than last year. Better than last year. <laughs> so out of last year, out of 3,200 models, only 31 were 31, like that's it, were uh, cur- supposedly curvy plus size models. But this year? This year we had 70 out of 3,840. <laughs> yeah. So is proportionately that, speaking. Dan, Dan, you're, you're our math guy. How does the math work out on that? Is it actually basically the same? No, it's, no, it's, it's, it's more. It's, it's, no, it's definitely more because if you think of it, the, the oh, number yeah. of curvy people it, doubled, but, um, the, yeah, but doubled. the overall number of people did not double. Did so it it's, though? It's, it's, it's I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what from, are they qualifying as curvy? Well, but I think what they're qualifying as curvy is not doing that thing that people always do, which is they're a model, they're a, they're a toothpick. Oh my God. Sorry, Donna's just distracted us entirely with I a picture of a fat He sent eagle. us a fat eagle. It was so perfect. <laughs> it is a very fat eagle. Oh, my goodness. But fashion. Fashion, right. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I think it does represent a step forward. It might be a step forward because last year there were so many, uh, so many, I, I don't know what you say, influencers, people up in arms that yeah. in 2021, there were like breakthrough, fat bodies, take the, take the runway. And then in 2022, it was like, oh yeah, we did that last year. Don't need to do it again. Mm -hmm. It's been done. And, <laughs> and then- bitch. And so then I think <laughs> 2023 has been a reaction to maybe, I'm guessing, that backlash of like, hey, where did that go? That needs to, <laughs> the, that needs to the, be yeah. a staple. Backlash the bash, like backlash of <laughs> lashing back again. Yeah. Anyway, hopefully, but it's not that he, I mean, I guess it technically is twice as much, more than twice as much. Doesn't, still doesn't seem that much yeah. overall. Well, and, and something else that I think about is, so if you think of a fashion show or New York Fashion Week or something like that as, you know, not what everybody is going to wear, but sort of a chance for designers to show off their design in yeah. the same way that nobody expects to go to their dealership and buy a concept car. I think yeah, there's people true. that do. <laughs> Where, where's my flying car, Jetson? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but I, but I think like you don't expect to go to a dealership and buy and buy a concept car. I, I mean, I'm not plugged into fashion, so maybe I'm dead wrong here. Like, no, we we do see those in the stores. On the other hand, we know we've seen a lot of fashion that nobody would nobody would nobody would wear out of the bedroom just because you couldn't walk in it. <laughs> you know, uh, ridiculous things that look like architecture more than clothing. And yeah. so I, I I wonder. I'm not saying that's an excuse. I just I guess I'm saying that I'm not sure that therefore the goal is to make, you know, if 60% of the American population wears plus size, do we need to see 60% of the runway models be plus size? Yes. I'm not yeah. sure that's yes. true. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, yes. Well, that's like saying, is it, a, is it a concept car or is this something that's coming to a dealership here near you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know because I don't really watch Fashion Week and yeah. I couldn't tell you. But, um, I mean, I'm just I like my, I didn't really pay attention to Fashion Week, but I'm glad that Felicity Hayward kind of like made the slideshow of all the plus representation mm -hmm. because it's great to see it all in one place. It is. There's some surprising images in that mix too. Like, there's interesting things to look at. I, I think I figured out the counter argument to what I just said, which is you <laughs> don't need to drive a concept car, but you do need a clothing that fits. Yes. Dan, yeah. Dan, are you the type of person who plays chess with himself? <laughs> yes, but I win every time. <laughs> I'm developing answer. a new strategy for me. I'll never see it coming. <laughs> that um, bastard won't know what hit him. What? So no, it's true. That's exactly how it happens. <laughs> something I did notice is, you know, so less but more plus representation. But also, like, there were, I don't know, I think maybe under 10 male models in the mix. Less, less than 10? Like, That's pretty typical. I mean, I, I, could, I didn't count exactly, but I think just from the, I am comfortable in saying less than 10. 10 or wow. less. <laughs> wow. The slideshow kind of shot past me, but I think at least two of the women's fashions I saw were on male models. Mm -hmm. So. Mm. I don't know. I guess let's hope that it's a trend that, you know, last year, it, it, this year doubled from last year and next year will double from this year and so on and so on. And then we'll the take over. the entire fashion show is fat people. <laughs> <laughs> New York fat fashion week. <laughs> I you think that would You be, ain't ready. That would be revolutionary. <laughs> All right, boom, everybody. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> <laughs> He's stomping down the runway. He's stomping down the runway. Triple reinforced venue <laughs> with steel beams. Okay. 
No um, folding chairs. Exactly. <laughs> All the audience in benches. <laughs> Dude, I'm just trying to picture Trevor balancing on these tiny little stilettos as he goes on down. <laughs> I'm I'm going to be striking some oil if you put me in stilettos. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the main, main topic time. I... Uh, Dan, this was your idea. How about yeah, you set a, this up? Oops, it's all Dan episode. It's a yeah, Dan episode. <laughs> <laughs> Some people may know that I, I I also teach writing and dramatic writing and things like that. And something that came up in my class that I'm teaching was some experiences, just this idea of when, when people see you as something that you don't see yourself as or, but not necessarily in a bad way, right? Like the teacher who sees you as a writer and you're like, oh, I guess I'm a writer. Or the the date who sees you as beautiful and you thought you were just getting by. Mm -hmm. And how that changes. And, you know, it, and, and the other characteristic I know about these things is that it usually means nothing to the to the person. Like if you said, you know, if you said to them, you said this to me, they'd be like, oh, Great. Mm -hmm. But you know, yeah, you remember it 20 years later. They don't remember it 10 minutes. <laughs> like to them, it's just so. It's just like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, you're you're gonna be a great writer, kid, or wow, you're really beautiful, you know, like you know, and you're naked. <laughs> and so, like, I thought, do we have stories of that? Do people have experiences of that? Mm -hmm. Well, that's how I got started as a writer, actually. Mm. Tell was uh, being accused of plagiarism in high school by a teacher. <laughs> 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 Why do all of your stories go like this, Don? I feel like you, you, Trevor has tra tragic tales. Don has, I don't know, downer memories. What? what how does Don, this it's, a, it's one of Don's it's not, downers. It's not a downer <laughs> memory. It's not. We let him tell um, the story. Yeah. So I, I wish I could remember who the writer was, like Hawthorne or something. But the assignment for the class was to read a short story by a, this famous Americana writer and then pick a point in the story cut off the story and then write a new ending, right? Hmm. And so it, it, one of the things we were supposed to do was mimic the style of the writer, right? All I did was the assignment. I read the story, I cut it off, and then I get a note from the teacher saying, you misunderstood the assignment, come see me after class. I go to see her and she explains to me, the assignment was not to write, re, just write down the ending again. You were supposed to write, and I was like, I did that. Look at it. And then she looked at it and was like, Oh, you mimicked the style too closely. I thought it was the writer. Wow. Right? <laughs> I thought it was Hawthorne. I apologize. I'll, I'll read this now. <laughs> oh, shit. She didn't even read it. No, she read like halfway through my ending. It was like, well, I, I'm just rereading Hawthorne. What is the point of this? Wow. Mm. How did you take that as a kid? I took it as a compliment because it, it, like, yeah, for me, it was pure feeding my ego. Great. Um, you know, so, and she became the teacher who told me I could write and that I was good at this and was in my corner. Right. Mm. I never had that before. She was literally the first teacher to tell me you are good at this. You are good at something. Even though I was always a B plus a minus student through my entire life. It's one of those things where like, I always question because like I was the only Brown child where I grew up. And the the talented white kids got mentors, but I never did. So mm. it was one of those things where like mentorship always happened to other people. This is literally the only time in my lifetime I can think of someone that mentored me in some way. Well, so, and I, I think you put your finger on yeah. it. It's because so often mentorship comes from who we see as that thing, who we see yeah. as the future 
X, whatever that is. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of brown kids do not get seen as the future writers. I've definitely seen that in Hollywood where like I oh, yeah. see talented white kids get mentors mm -hmm. when they come to the city. And then I don't see that happening. Like now I'm starting to see it with black kids with black mentors. I'm starting to see that. I've seen Latino mentors with Latino kids for a long time, but not cross mentoring. I just never see it. It's interesting. I kind of felt the same way when I was a kid where I, I never knew what I wanted to be when I was a kid. Let's start with that. The only thing I really knew was that I loved playing soccer. So it's like, mm. well, I, I know it's unrealistic to think I could do anything with that. So I guess I just don't know what I want to do when I grow up. I mean, you weren't even Brazilian. No, exactly. <laughs> what is it? Kind of insanity. He kept and, getting them, but it didn't improve his soccer playing. <laughs> <laughs> no. And so I kind of always wanted that like guidance and I never... I think maybe I was just too quiet of a kid and, you know, people don't tend to look that closely at the quiet kids. But whatever the reason, I eventually kind of stumbled across uh, my cousin's video camera. Uh, mm. This was originally started with VHS tape and then we moved to DV tape and was I ended up making these like dumb little like shorts. And uh, eventually, you know, the Internet came around and I posted one of them on YouTube and a fellow who I don't think would care if I shared his name, but I'll just not uh, for the sake of, you know, being safe about it from L.A. who's married to a uh, or not married, but partnered with a very sort of very, very, very successful film director uh, found the video and then wrote me on MySpace, if that dates the story oh, um, and bones. said, yeah, oh, yeah, um, basically wrote this like, you know, page and a half long, like, you know, I haven't read it in a long time. I probably could go back and find it, but basically like, have you thought about doing this? Like as a, you know, have you thought about pursuing this, like being a filmmaker? And I had, it had not once occurred to me that I could do that. Like I, I was going to miss that train entirely because it was just sort of a silly side thing that I'd like to do. And I didn't, I just didn't think about it. And it, it totally shifted my entire perception of myself. And I was like, I wouldn't even have to be quote unquote successful at it because if I went and tried that and got somewhere with my life pursuing that, I would be happy. Like I would be really, I would, it was just like totally open a door for me that I didn't even know existed. It was like behind a tapestry in the room that I was standing in. And I was like, how did I get in here? There's no doorways in here. <laughs> it's like, here you go. Like, and it was somebody who saw me as a filmmaker when I just saw myself as a, like a dumb kid with a camera. Yeah. And that like, much like Don, that has shaped my entire trajectory of my life ever afterwards. Like you have a career in writing. I have a career in filmmaking now. Like mm -hmm. it, those, those moments really matter. This is interesting because it's like kind of a, so I was talking to my mom last week because I, I had a conversation with a journalist who was kind of writing about, you know, quote unquote, the, the childhood obesity epidemic and medical intervention, you know, being pushed stuff we talked about on the podcast and explaining to my mom about this and how, you know, they want to start doing, performing more weight loss surgery on children and pushing these drugs. And she was so horrified. And then we we're just talking about, you know, me being a fat kid. And she was like, well, you weren't ch a chubby kid. You were cute. I mean, oh, well, boy. you were, you no, were it went, it, it went from you weren't fat, you were chubby. And then you weren't yeah. chubby, you were cute. <laughs> uh, you, you weren't, you weren't fat, you were chubby. Well, you, you weren't chubby, you were cute. And I was like, <laughs> I mean, I think I was both. She's like, well, y yeah. 
and just like this whole really just like struggling with it and then ended up even calling back to be I was like gonna, yeah, how, what was the call back for i think the call back was the well you weren't fat but you i guess you were chubby it's and a minor concession just a just little this concession. whole like really this was recent this was yes this was last days week. ago days ago yeah man we thought she had come so far well but she, she did she and has, it was just yeah. this whole it was really i and i was like man i could unpack this with her but it's like it's i feel nah, like setting as, boundaries with four people here that are not parents right like mm. I feel like we have to cut some slack for that because like when you're talking about a child's physical state, I feel like more ownership of the child's physical state is assigned to the parent. Absolutely. Yes. So if you were chubby as a child, then you were cute and she was doing her job. If you were fat as a child, maybe she feels like that's a bad reflection on her parenting. Well, and that was – I mean, I – that is 100% it. And Mm. she – you know, there's the whole like parent goggles thing of reflecting of like – Oh, I was such a good parent. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to hear what Michael has to say because he is. I, so I just, I, Don made a good point and I just, I have a counterpoint that I would like to share because I'm sort of thinking about like, okay, let's like, let's cut the parents some slack. But at the same time, <laughs> I feel that many, many parents get to know their kid as a kid and then they stop at the point that the kid starts discovering their own identity. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they stop bothering to get to know who their kid is. Yes. And yes. even as the kid becomes an adult in the parent's eyes, the kid is still just whoever it was that they were when they when they were 10, 8, 9, whatever. And the kid's acceptance and definition of their own identity, who they are, who they determine to be, what they're happy with, unhappy with whatever, like Trevor loves his body, like that is part of his identity and his mm. mom has not accepted that. Even now, maybe, you know, like we've made a huge amount of progress and we're not going to, like you said, you're not going to unpack that with it because mm. like, look, at the end of the day, what are you going to do? But I still think that it is the parent's responsibility as somebody who cares about somebody else to continue to get to know them over the course of their life and to stay in touch with what their identity is so that if your kid, for instance, was fat, and and still is or still isn't or whatever, and they've come to terms with that and they love themselves, you as the parent should too. You as the mm-hmm. parent should be on board with that, on the same page with them yeah. at that part well, of the journey. Well, but I mean, in, in terms of with my mom, she is just starting to like, in doing, you know, this work and like being like, people should leave Lizzo alone. <laughs> like is starting to like look at her own yeah. childhood stuff with her. Because like, you know, my mom had like was pretty good. There was a lot of like messed up stuff and it, like, you know, with me and like body stuff in her, but it is a fraction of, you know, she in trying to prevent that only gave me a fraction of the trauma she received around her body. Yeah, absolutely. And I was trying to explain to her with this whole thing, like, you know, just the culture around body stuff with was different then. We were kind of in this in-between period of like the, you know, idea of the childhood obesity epidemic was not really like a thing because it wasn't packaged that way. But I was like, you know, if we were just kind of, you picked up, you know, you and me and dropped us now. And like, you know, even my doctor, like it would be a hundred percent different in terms of like how my doctor treated me, you know, like I'm like the doctor would be 
you know, having these conversations with you of like, you know, maybe we should consider weight loss surgery. Maybe we should, you know, consider these drugs and like just trying to get my mom to like see like just because you're looking back with these, this kind of nostalgia and like, oh, but you were so cute. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't want to say that you were cute and fat because I, you know. She I've has 70 years of uh, <laughs> weird body trauma. Yeah, I, when I do seminars for uh, sometimes with <laughs> with straights and with parents, uh, one of the things I see a lot is that mentality of, you know, you weren't fat, you were cute. Or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you're not fat, you're beautiful. Or some, because, in, because the thing, Michael, is that, yes, it would be great if they could see that in their kid. But I think the level beyond that is what Trevor was saying, which is it's their own shit that's in the way of that. And that's why it has, they, they can't deal with it because they're trying to deal with it externally in their kid instead of dealing it internally. The thing I wanted to say was that when I watched Trevor going through this, because he was having the phone call across the room from me, and Don, the first thing I thought of was you and your mom. And, you know, we talk about how, you know, th- I mean, this is kind of a funny, low-level eh, story, but I was thinking... You know, how much would Don give today if that were the problem between him and his mom oh. about his body? Mm-hmm. You know, I'd pay money for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like if your biggest problem with your mom was like, she's like, oh, you weren't chubby. You were cute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my Especially God. You were chubby and the devil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, what a game changer that would have been in your childhood to have it that good, you know? Mm hmm. I, in my head, it's just immediately like, you know what, mom? I wish I were the devil because I've gotten so much cool shit done. I oh, I'd like share your story with class. <laughs> I was thinking about how I got into writing. There's a lot of writing here, but the major thing is that like I never would have dreamed ever in my life that I would write like a 300 page book about the the chub chaser scene and about the psychology of chasers and and all that and where that came from again who are you that you did that well i you know i started leading these little seminars at places like uh convergence or bigger vegas and people would come up to me again never occurred to me that i would write about this and they'd say like oh my god that seminar that was so great do you have books do you have videos do you have a book and i'm like oh maybe i should write a book and so <laughs> it was sort of this I'd never seen myself as someone who would ever write a book. Like, why would you? I mean, I'm dyslexic. I don't even read books. Like, it's painful. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to write a book. And it sort of took over because now, you know, I, I write a lot of other things. I write fiction and I write dramatic literature. But that all kind of came from people seeing me in that way of like, oh, you have something to say and you should say it some in a medium that's more permanent than us together in a room. Yeah. And accessible too. Yeah. Somebody can't get to your seminar. Yeah. That's defined, at least since I've known you, a huge part of your sort of the way that you relate to the people in the world. Absolutely. Because, you know, I went to school for stage direction and I still do that. But I mean, really where my efforts are now is in, is in writing, writing and public speaking. And that is a consequence of people seeing me a way I never thought of myself. <laughs> that's it's, interesting. Isn't it's it? so, yeah, that's, I, I had, let me, let me just share a quickie if that's okay. When I was a kid, I grew up fast, right? Um, you can't see us on the podcast and most of you have never seen me standing up. I'm six foot three. 
right? Mm -hmm. And I've shrunk. I used to be six foot four. Uh, when I was a little kid, though, I was like a head taller than all the other kids, which meant I got put in charge of everything, right? Because <laughs> you could see it. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that's just the way it is. The tallest kid always gets put in charge. It's yeah. it's a fact of sociology for some reason. And that forced me to do more sort of leadership stuff. Yeah. So again, just that that perception of, oh, you're tall, so you must be good at being put being in charge. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's, so it's amazing how much impact that has that had on my entire lifetime. So yeah, I'm okay. I'm thinking. Oh, sorry, I'm thinking of this the shortest kids I knew growing up and imagining the teacher being like, "You're in charge." Oh god, and just the poor the, the let the beat down begin. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah. Maybe uh, that's part of it. Is like the biggest kid can't get attacked by the other kids <laughs> physically. Well, but, but it's also other stuff. Like I would notice because I taught. You know, I taught test prep. And so there are, there's a kind of profile for the person who's preparing for the GRE. And a, that's, you know, the like arts and sciences. And there's a kind of profile for the person preparing for the, the GMAT, which is for business school, to the point where they look different and they certainly act different. And one of the characteristics of people preparing for the GMAT is they are almost universally, almost really good looking. What's GMAT? Is this the GMAT is the, is the exam you take to qualify for it's like the sat for business school after your bachelor's yeah okay so if you know what the sat is the gmat is another standardized test that you would take after your undergrad to rank you in your abilities to go to business school and it's a mm. it's it's basically math it's math and logic and, and good looking uh, business people well and but see here's like how does that happen right and and one of the things that i started to think about is i think if you are a good looking child people smile at you a lot. And if you're a good looking teen, mm -hmm. your social interactions are so much easier. And so you grow up in a world that wants you and likes you. Mm -hmm. kind of and usually wants to give you things. If and the wants to do stuff. Yeah, right. they, they yeah. want you to be their friend. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, obviously behavior or a lot of other things can spoil that. But that's sort of the default because people see what you look like from many feet away before anything happens. And I think that's the opposite, you know, for fat people like, oh, you're the fat kid and people make up a whole bunch of shit about you before you ever, you ever get within 10 feet of them. And there's, and then you grow up thinking that's how the world is. And it's what we, we've said this again, when we talk about how like, oh my God, I lost a hundred pounds. And all of a sudden the world became such a more friendly place, you know, a more welcoming place. Mm -hmm. It kind of is everywhere about how, how people create you without you're even knowing it. Mm -hmm. You know, in good and bad ways. Yeah, it, both good and bad ways. Yeah. As, as yeah. we've just shared, ways. Like, just you ways. can see, and it's sort of up to you how much you take that, like how much you take that on. Mm -hmm. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know so, that we have a, a good wrap-up for that. Yeah. I think that we have that a tip it. today. That's our wrap-up right there. There we go. Great. <laughs> Nope. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think well, we got a bit. <laughs> we do have a bit. We're, we're trying a weird new take on the bit today. Oh, boy. Today we are doing Don's Science Pop Quiz Corner. Okay. Mirage edition. Since we're talking about people seeing you in different ways or seeing different things than they expect were there, we're going to go into the wonderful world of mirages. And okay. Today, one of the things we're going to do is everybody's going to get their own question. They get to do things by themselves. But I have no idea what question each of you is going to get. You're going to have oh. to pick. Okay. okay. So, Michael, on today's Science Pop Quiz Corner Mirage Edition, would you like to hear Michael's keen-eyed question, Trevor's naughty nautical knowledge, 
or Dan's esoteric knowledge corner question. Those are the names. To, uh, of the, the, the Trevor one. The <laughs> okay, so you have selected Michael's keen-eyed question. I'm no. ignoring your selection. You're getting Michael's question. Oh. <laughs> what? Okay. I have specifically formulated each of these questions for each of you. So we actually don't get a choice. No. Okay. I'm lying. <laughs> it make everything completely insane if all of you take your own questions because they come in order. They build on each other. Okay. Okay. All right. Michael, mirages. You know what mirage is? A mirage is a physical, strange thing, an effect created by light on uh, either above a hot surface, uh, generally. Uh, so that's why you see them in the desert so often, right? Uh-huh. The question I have for you today and is... And stroke. <laughs> <laughs> can you photograph a mirage? I don't think so, no. Because I, I, think, I think you can photograph the heat waves that distort the air... But I think my sense is that a mirage of actually seeing something is hallucination, hallucination brought on by heat stroke. And I don't think you could photograph that. Gotcha. Well, in fact, the correct answer is yes, you can. It is a physical bending of light yes. by heat and cold in, in air, differences in air. So uh, Right. Well, hold on, though. As you've qualified, like a mirage is when you're seeing something that isn't there. For example, water over over uh right that's what i said about the the heat waves like you can photograph that okay but the way your eye sees it is the way it will photograph because it is an effect of the light okay yes okay keep going trevor trevor your question is trevor's naughty nautical knowledge not yes (laughs) everyone knows that there are mirages over the desert but are there mirages over the ocean yes yes that is correct uh because basically uh, and all of these questions are building on each other. So we're, we're getting to Dan's very difficult question. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> so the, a mirage is created by a, a band of temperature that is topped by a different band of temperature. So uh, above the ocean, you have cold water. And then when the, the, water, the air heats up, it creates various illusions above the water. So... Dan, your yes. question, Dan's Esoteric Knowledge Center. Oh, dear. Is there a difference between hot mirages like you get in the desert and cold mirages like you get over snow or the well, ocean? Well, difference. Uh, yes, but gosh, because it depends which way. It, it, it's a, because of the temperature gradient, it would have an effect on the refraction angle and which way the light bends. Uh, yes. Is, is that good enough? Yes, that okay. is correct. <laughs> so basically what ends up happening is that if it's a hot mirage, right? Like you get over sand, you'll always see it below the horizon. Yeah. Always. If it's a cold mirage, it lifts what you see above the horizon, making mm-hmm. it look like things are flying. Right. Right. So that's why we have all of these legends of flying ghost ships oh, is because of that's this really, that would happen this at mirage sea. effect. Yes. It literally lifts ships on the horizon above the horizon so it looks like they're flying. Oh, that is that mm. is that is cool. That is cool. Yep. And you can photograph that. So yep. we have lots of pictures of it. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I love this stuff. Yeah. I, I was doing research on mirages and like I just went down this way. All right. Yeah. All right. Now this is for all of you. The person who I think succeed, I'm, I'm going to give an advantage to Dan because I was very impressed by your answer. All right, so <laughs> don't this fuck final with the physics question, major. <laughs> we're doing this on Price's Right rules. Dan, you're going to get to answer first. Okay. All right. What is the biggest mirage photographed to date? What does that mean? What do you mean? Physically, the size of the mirage, what it appeared to be. How big was it? A bread box? Was it a person? Was it an oasis? Oh, well, what do we? What do we have photographic image of as the largest mirage that we have ever seen? 
I mean, you're just sort of limited by the curvature of the horizon. Um, uh, like, do you want it in feet? Do you want it? In no, miles? no. Just want... give it like an idea of like it's a mountain. It's a cat. It's oh, it's a, a mountain. It's a mountain. Okay, we got a mountain. All right. Uh, going around, Michael. Do you uh, Trice is right rules? Do you do you have something bigger? Do you have some smaller? What are you thinking? Uh, a major city. Major city. All right, Trevor. A moon. A moon. <laughs> All right. That's no space station. That's wait. That's no moon. That's a space station. So what's <laughs> yes. happened here is yeah. Dan has undershot, or or maybe we can say Michael and Dan uh, tied, but Michael got it exactly right. Oh, good. Okay. In Ooh. May 2005, there was this uh, basically this strange sort of heat pattern off of this city in the uh, the province of Shandong, mm. where for four hours an entire city appeared out of the mists over the water. Brilliant. People were able to watch lights turning on and off in buildings. Mm -hmm. They were able to see things moving in the streets. And it, we have photographs of it online. Oh, that's you can just amazing. Go and see it. it is unbelievable. Yeah. But yeah, imagine just waking up one day and seeing a city over the water. Imagine what this must have been for like for people. And it was most likely their own city reflected because of the way the lights and temperatures were interacting. Dan? If I may play Mr. Wizard for 10 seconds. Yeah. Um, it's, it's actually that reflection is refraction. And it's the same property that when yeah. you put a pencil in water, the pencil appears to bend. Yeah. It's amazing stuff. So I highly recommend go online, do a search for uh, Shangdong 2005 Mirage. It is so cool. Trevor, if our listeners are seeing a mirage out their window right now, where can they tell us about it? Well, we're on Instagram and Twitter as at Big Fat Gay Pod. We're on Facebook as the Big Fat Gay Podcast. Leave us five stars there. Leave us five stars on Apple Podcast. Five stars everywhere. Support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Big Fat Gay Pod. See the articles we talked about at www.bigfatgaypod.com. Cha. Maybe you're the person driving. We're coming back to you. Full circle, <laughs> baby. Um, and you see... You see a mirage, and it's, mm. it looks like Michael, and it's the mirage is getting bigger. That's and it's not a mirage, it's him, and you're about to hit him, so... Ah, watch <laughs> out! Watch out for me! <laughs> like, you, you know watch out for us, I watch out for you. 